it's almost like the government is like a dog walker. It's the person walking a bunch of dogs. And the path that it's on is like the price path of the economy. And the dogs, you know, can, can orbit around the person who's, who's moving. They can go, you know, all around them, right, with, um, limited by the tether, which is like the institutional structure. In order for like the whole orbit to like move forward, that person has to move. They're the one holding the the uh, the leash. The leash is. So if you if the, if they want to move beyond the you know the maximum, the range of the leash, the person has to move. And so to me, that is a good sort of way to put it all together. Welcome to Activist MNT, a podcast about real-world economics, including modern money theory, and how life changes when you discover it. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. So let's move on. So I'd like to describe. So I just spoke with John, not just I. I, I spoke with John maybe a month ago, yeah. month and a half ago. I, I, I watched. I, I watched the the two. I, I was waiting to do um, Jonathan's um, interviews with them. I haven't done that yet, but I did the first two parts, and I heard the part you're talking about where he, you know, became a bigger thing for you. He just kind of mentioned it in passing. Cool. Um, yeah. So that's actually going to be released this. Tomorrow. That's actually going to be released tomorrow, which is uh, part two, which is uh, July 10th. Um, So I want to briefly, I want to briefly describe that. And I'm confident that number one, I'm confident it's accurate. And number two, I'm confident that it does not conflict with what you want to get into, which is monopoly price center. Yeah. So I want to say that, and then I want to get your thoughts on it. And then we'll transition into the monopoly price center. Um, So, 
inflation is not like you were saying that, you know, and then inflation came up and now everybody's upset and whatever. And, and it's like, but their, their interpretation of what inflation is, is complete nonsense. So it doesn't really matter, you know, this inflation that came up, it's basically, they decided to, to create this boogeyman, really. It's not, it's not a real thing that they're fearing. I mean, yes, there are some real things going on, but what they're talking about is a boogeyman that is, you know, if if anything happens for, you know, if we give it the the poor what they need, then then in, that that's the inflation we fear, you know. So, yeah. what I understand inflation to be now is not a disease and not even a symptom. It's not. It's neither of those things. And what when people talk about inflation, they consider it a disease. I I, I think the average person and the way that the media portrays it is that inflation is a disease that must be cured at all costs, no matter what. And what it actually is, is it is a measurement of something going wrong somewhere. And we can't know what that is until we look into it. But people assume that the very, that like, you know, it's, it's like a thermometer in sickness. So if a thermometer shows a high temperature Yes, something is wrong somewhere. Your body is fighting off something. But that doesn't mean that, like, you know, it's like the difference between do you want the temperature to go down because you fear a high temperature at all costs, make that temperature go down, or do you want to cure the sickness? If you want the temperature to go down at all costs, then just put the thermometer into an ice bath. <laughs> and then and then the temperature will go away problem solved and that's what that's how people i think treat inflation make the inflation go away no matter what let's put that let's put that thermometer into an ice bath who now good thank goodness inflation has gone away meanwhile the person is still sick because you haven't cured what their actual temperature what their body is fighting and so i think there is a real disconnect between you know, you're saying you were saying, you know, then inflation came up in 2021. And yes, it did. But the inflation that these people are talking about, that the, the people are fearing and that the media is, 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 you know, blathering on about is not real. It's a boogeyman that is essentially we're giving, you know, we're, we're, we're threatening to give poor people stuff. And that's the boogeyman of inflation that we're talking about. So that is inflation to me. That is, you know, it is the temperature. And if you want to really understand what the problem is, then you need to go to that person and diagnose what's wrong with them and then solve that problem. But we're so busy just dipping the dipping the thermometer into an ice bath. And that's basically, you know, raising interest rates and whatever. Yeah, it brings inflation down, but it's like, it's like, you know, it, this kitchen feeds everyone, but we'll just shut a lot of people out. So we, you know, but, but, but everyone who comes in this kitchen is going to get a great meal. But let's ignore the fact that we're shutting people out of this kitchen to begin with, you know. So I, I that was kind of that wasn't that wasn't as direct and concise as I wanted it to be. But I think I got my point across. So that's how I see what inflation actually is in a broad sense. I think that's accurate, and I and I'm pretty sure that it's compatible with with your with Mosler with Warren Mosler's view that the inflation is essentially you know, uh, a, a function of the, the, the monopolist being the monopolist price setter. And it's also compatible with class conflict. 
it's a class conflict theory of inflation, which you know w- workers fight for higher wages and uh, capital fights for higher profits, and government stands in as a guard dog for capitalists, which is why they they always win. You know, but I think all of these things fit together. All of these things are compatible with each other. Yeah. Well, what? All right. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't push back on something you said about higher rates equal lower inflation <laughs> you know we, we I, um, well, no no well okay I, I i didn't that's that's not what i meant i, I yeah, okay, say what okay. you're gonna say. That's, that's, no that's definitely not what i meant i'm saying that that is the is that is the equivalent of sticking a thermometer into the ice bath uh, okay, and then we've okay. that's the that's it yeah is that's their they're raising interest rates is their version of getting rid of inflation at all costs yeah. by simply sticking a thermometer into an ice bath well, without conf- solving the real problem. They confuse the hot stove with the, the ice bath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like, wow, this thing's hot again. I don't understand it. Uh, um, right. But, so, all right. Um, and, and this is the way, this is the way I like to say it to not just be polite, but to be fair and charitable with, with people that maybe I, don't agree 100% with what how they're saying it. But uh, and I will say this like the way Warren talks about inflation is is different than how Randy Ray and and Bill Mitchell. And you can find other things in their writings where they they sort of differ, but this is almost it you know Warren is is um I I think it gets muddled in my opinion gets muddled by academics possibly because the way that Warren says it is is really hard for people to understand. And you're up there in a conference, you're dealing with laymen, they're not going to get it. You might as well just avoid it and say something that's a little bit, you know, easier for them to get, you know. And but it is miss we are missing out on stuff and it not just um things for the purposes of analysis, rhetorical political opening by avoiding the way Warren says it. But inflation is, is the government has to pay higher prices when it spends or lends in in order for there to be inflation, right? It has to make the currency easier to get. It's paying more for the same stuff. Um, Now, all kinds of prices can be changing, you, you know, and inflation could be stable. Class conflict could be going on. Inflation still could be stable. Um, there's redistribution and all this stuff, reordering in the private sector. All that could still be happening, and, and inflation could be stable. And then other times, those things lead to sellers going to the government, raising and demanding higher prices. And we've we've got to start really looking at the government procurement and contracting process because the way they built inflation into that process through schedules of prices in year one, year two, year three, year four, these, these things are fixed, you know, well in advance of that spending. And it, you know, some of it's anticipating increases. It's, it's, you know, negotiated, you know, other times though, some of their price schedules are variable. You know, it's linked to inflation, which indexing, so you don't, it's almost like a, 
contracting and procurement process can almost, it's like it can leverage an existing inflation prop, you know, and, and make it worse. Right. But, um, and, and, and I think this, what I'm saying is important and it's what we're missing out on because you, you could have inflation without demand and supply being out of whack just simply by the government choosing to pay higher prices. Congress could just legislate like, all right, we're going to pay 5% more, you know, for everything. And, and then prices would rise, right? And um, if you go back to the beginning of the money story, you know, you're in the room with Warren. He's up here telling you what you have to do to get his tax credits. That's sort of um, a dictatorial situation right he there you're not negotiating but we do negotiate you know sellers do negotiate with the government there's a little bit of back and forth and um you could expand upon warren's model you could have banks you could have like a real economy and, and people exchanging inside the room and you would get to that place where there's people negotiating with the government to you know do the work that the government wants done right and and the government being flexible and saying okay well we'll pay we'll pay you a dollar more for this and, you know, if people don't show up to do the work that government wants done, it, the government, you know, raises their price to attract, uh, you know, those workers. So or raises but, taxes. Yeah. Or put. Yeah. Or forces you forces you in. Right. There's you know, there's both those levers. And um, but, you know, if you go back to the money story and say there's beginning of time, no, you know, no money. We just created a government. Um people value things in relation to other things you know without no money no government whatever it's this relative price story where you know this my coffee cup is worth two two bottles of water in my head and somebody else might say oh well, it's three bottles of water and uh, uh, it's just one bottle of water and then and then the stuff is exchanging and it's our indifference levels that sort of like inform us when we make purchasing decisions in that sort of bartering world right and i don't like this like I don't, I don't like implying that bartering came before governments like governments have been with us since we've had organized groups right so, so as soon as there was you know four or five people in a room there's been a government right <laughs> like there's been some system of rules in place and but anyways um in my head you know coffee not coffee mugs were two water bottles you know, somebody else it's three, somebody else it's one. But now government's coming in and applying its numeraire. And, you know, it has to give the private sector, the non-government, the information. You know, there's no prices in terms of dollars yet, right? It has to, it has to set the price. <laughs> it has to say, oh, actually, you know, the coffee cup is going to be worth um, uh, $2. That's what we're going to buy these coffee cups for. We're going to buy them for $2. And, um. It's like the things that the government pays for, you know, one, we know that, you know, not everybody works for the public sector, right? You know, some people do the real, the work to get the currency from the government. And then other people who need the currency have to basically work for the people who, who did work for the government. Right. Um, like you either work for the government or you work for a company that works for the government or you work for a company that works for a company that works for a government which explains every job in the entire economy uh, like a a, a movie <laughs> a movie uh you know a person that sells candy at the movie 
you know, they're selling yeah. to a, a, you know, a judge, they sell uh, candy to the judge who goes sees a movie. And so, you know, there's, there's always that chain. Yeah. 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 I mean, conservatives might have a problem with what you're saying, but, um, but Warren calls it demand. It's just, Demand filtering. It's just demand for money gets is filtered by these initial government contractors who are the ones who work and, and get the money from the government. And then these other people are coming to them. So it's like almost like it's pricing power is now, you know, after the government spent, pricing power is now shifted to this other group, you know, the people who, who work for the public sector. You know, and they're not going to, they're not going to buy stuff. Their purchases, their relative values in their head is going to be informed by what they had to do to get the currency from the government. So the way I like to say it, it's like these other prices that are, you know, things that government didn't buy, the stuff that we bought, it orbits around the prices that, you know, the government pays when it spends, they orbit, but they're still there. They can only go so far out of whack. And, um, there's an analogy that I sort of came up with and Warren, I'm not going to say that he endorses it. It's probably, it's not bulletproof. It's going to cause people to get all hung up. So <laughs> I don't know if Warren would say he endorsed it, but you know, he did say he liked it, but it's almost like the government is like a dog walker. It's the person walking a bunch of dogs and the path that it's on is like the price path of the economy and the dogs, you know, can, can orbit around the person who's, who's moving. They can go, you know, all around them, right. With, um, limited by the tether, which is like the institutional structure in order for like the whole orbit to like move forward, that person has to move. They're the one holding the, the, uh, the leash, the leash is. So if you, if, the, if they want to move beyond the, you know, the maximum, the range of the leash, the person has to move. And so to me, that is a good sort of way to put it all together. They have to choose to move. They have to choose to move. Yeah. And, and that, that's the other thing. It's like, well, oh, well, look, government doesn't set the price it's just the sellers making they're the ones that say it's five dollars and the government you know has has to pay that it's like yeah but they choose they have to make the decision to spend and if they don't then what you know what's the price then of an unsold good you know like um but yeah so like people you know are all, oh it's the gouging in the you know it's corporate irresponsibility it's corporate gouging you know, it's causing inflation. And I'm, I'm like, I don't say that. Like, how, you can't cause inflation in the private sector to me, right? You, well, now, you people, can, but someone has to allow it to happen. Yeah, you have to. It's still, there's this final validating step. Yeah, it's it, blaming it, the victim. It, it's blaming, uh, it's blaming, I mean, in this example of, yeah, the, the price gouging caused inflation. Okay, maybe you're probably right. But who allowed that price gouging to happen to begin with? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And and um, it's part of the legislated 
institutional structure that has allowed them to do that. And then it's the government paying those prices, you know, validating it. So, but like I said, you don't necessarily need the sellers to come to the government and, and demand higher prices. The government can just say, you know what, hey, you're asking for five for this. We'll actually pay you five fifty. I mean, it's true. Like they do, they do pay more. They have other, like I don't know if you've taken any public administration classes, but there is some weird theories and ideology about how the government should spend, how it should do price discovery, and um, what you know, it doesn't want to interfere in the private sector processes. It doesn't want to be biased, and you know, and they're all you know. Um, but yeah, so now, not everything in our economy is sold by someone subject to the coercive tax. You got foreigners, you got Saudis, you know, and 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 they want to save in our dollar, right? They're, but that's a volun- totally voluntary decision, right? And and they have pricing power, but they but. Still, government has to to spend. It has to choose to pay the higher prices for oil and gas, and and they is, have to and they have to do business with companies in the U.S. who have to pay their workers with dollars because those workers have to pay taxes, and that company has to deal with other companies that have to yeah, pay. Yeah, that, that, that could yeah, that could drive a need for the dollar. Besides savings, is 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 that uh, I forget how Rohan's saying it, but it's like a legal legal mediated demand or something for the dollar you know so i don't have a problem the way he says it but anyway um you know like this is this part is like an aside to this theory but the government is the largest consumer of oil on the planet you know the u.s military inside of that is is you know the largest buyer of oil so i don't know what uh what's the term monosopony or what monopsony yeah like you know, it's it's a large purchaser. It has pricing, you know, power as a buyer. But the point is, is government still has to choose to pay those higher prices. And now, it, it's faced with a horrible choice, right? If it doesn't spend now, the cars, now the U.S. military can't move. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, buy the oil at, at these prices, right? We can't can't drive anywhere. You know, um, we can't defend ourselves. We can't put down a rebellion. We can't enforce the tax code and. So, so, you know, there's limits to how, like how much extreme austerity the government could do, but that is an option when you're facing inflation. The government could just come in and say, you know what, screw you guys, we're not paying one cent more for anything, and until everyone lowers prices, we're not going to spend a thing. And you know, tax liabilities are in place. Government sending falls to near zero. Just it has to. It has to have some spending so it can sustain its power to enforce the tax, right? But, but um, you know, immediately the economy needs the dollars to pay the tax bill. Dollars are not coming into it. And, you know, what, are, what do you think? They're all going to start cutting their prices. And the government couldn't do that if it wasn't the freaking monopolist. And so, like, <laughs> when, when people have a problem with, like, people start saying, oh, you know, it's it's... It, uh, private sectors causing inflation, you know, it's like they're undermining the money story where, you know, the government is, is the monopolist, the issuer, right? You know, and they don't necessarily realize it. And, and again, I think this is 
because it's so kind of complicated, it's really hard for people to get. It takes way more than one conversation, I think, to get these these points through. Uh, I was really hoping somebody would have created like a video by now. It's like some animations to <laughs> help reinforce this. this well, go ahead. I think it's actually rather simple. It's just so different than what people think. And it's complicated, especially by the government doesn't use its power. It it, it passively delegates that power to the private sector. So it appears as if it's a price, as if it's a price taker. Yeah. Because it, it is so passive and so neglectful. So it is a price setter. It is the monopoly price setter, but it does that very passively and indirectly by not providing Medicare for all, by not enforcing antitrust, by by persecuting journalists, uh, by protecting capitalists and doing, uh, doing all of these things that it does. It is a price taker because it chooses to be a price taker. So in some, in some cases, it directly sets prices for soldiers, for judges and representatives and whatever. But in a lot of cases, it just passively, it, it's just passive and it neglects by not providing healthcare, by not providing education, by not negotiating pharmaceutical prices. It delegates that price setting power to the private sector and takes those prices. But of course, they're choosing to do that delegation. They're choosing to take those prices. They don't have to. So- yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really have a problem with that. I mean, the way Warren says it, though, is like if, if um, whether they know it or not, they're still setting prices, even if they're operating and they think of themselves as being a price taker. And um, yeah, agreed. That that know. what is what I think really adds to the yeah. confusion because they're choosing to allow their their massive, immense powers lie fallow, including the military that they have. If it really comes down to it, but but it, this is also like. I could see why people are like, well, well, wait a minute, you know, like I was trying to explain it to John. I was like, yeah, they could just set the economy on fire and not spend and <laughs> prices would fall. And he's like, holy shit, like, what the hell? Why would you do that? And, and um, <laughs> that's the that that's kind of the problem is, is that um, the measures that it would need to take to control inflation, you know, and, and that's like some crazy serious bout of inflation, you know. They'd have to burn everything down, and um, they're not going to take that step. You know, they are taking that step. They're just well, doing it in slow motion. Yeah, very slow, right? But they're not. You know, um, and, and back to my dog walker example, right? The, I've seen this. You know, somebody walking the dog before, and the dog is walking the human. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Now the human's feet, the body of the person still needs to move. It's got it's got that leash, but they're being dragged. And weaker governments where there's corruption, where, you know, violence is part of how business is conducted. You could see how they, that those sorts of governments can be dragged. Um, and are they setting prices? You know, that, that's that's a, a language thing. So I can see why people say, oh, no, no, it's just too complicated. I don't want to, you know, it's a private sector. We're short. You know, there's a shortage and that's what's causing the inflation. But. Again, in, we can't. We don't know what all the prices are in the economy, right? Of, of things, final goods and services. We don't know. We all we can do is estimate, and and we have we have measures of, of estimation, benchmarks, CPI, right? You know, but it's a look back. It, 
tells you what's happened. You know, and is that inflation? Is that what's, is that what's happening now? Well, you know, you'd have to look forward to kind of see what's happening now. You have to look at forward prices. And um, Warren's point is, is that, you know, uh, the, the forward price rate is really determined by the interest rate. And so it's like the interest rate is the academic definition of inflation. Assuming you're talking about what's going to happen. You know, so that's why you're looking at forward pricing. You know, but but it's an estimate. It can be wrong. You know, we put all these faith in these government statistics. And I'm not alleging that, you know, they do a really good job. We have some of the best public information in the world, right? But they do revise these things. And we really don't have a good way of looking at what's going on in the economy right now. And, you know, it's all look back. There's a lag. we got to estimate. There's weird statistical methodologies they use. And they smooth out the data. And then it screws something else up later down the road. You know, oh, we got to fix that. Blah, 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 blah. I, you know, it's over my head. I'm not that deep into statistics. But um, a job guarantee would give us a more real-time measuring tool. That's not the intent of the job guarantee, but that's just a, an effect here. Is you know the economy's slowing down, something's going on because the, the line to sign up for the job guarantee is getting longer. Or, hey, we're doing really good. Look look how few people are in line to get a job a job through the job guarantee. And uh, that that that's a real-time sort of thing that, you know, it allows the private sector to sort of optimize the government deficit. And, and we've turned government spending over really to the private sector based on their demand for, for, for people's labor. You know, so, so the counter-cyclical spending is, is, is going to be um, more in tune with what's actually happening and require less human intervention and judgments uh, to act, you know. So, and I, you know, one of the re- – I was terrified – when COVID hit and, you know, 30 million unemployed in a matter of months, I was like, there is no way in hell all these people are going to get their job backs. And we already have a problem with long-term unemployment. It's going to get even worse. You got all these sick people. And, and you know, now we, we're finding out about long COVID and all these subsequent variants. And, we're, and, and we very quietly have, you know, Biden has moved us into – uh, basically implemented Trump's policies, but, you know, a little bit on the margins with, with some, but, you know, he sent us testing kits and he rolled out the vaccine. Masking is less now a part of public life. Um, and I just think they, they wanted to lower the temperature politically and get us off of fighting each other over COVID. And unfortunately, like a minority is just extremely loud and extremely vocal and, and violent um, about, you know, public health interventions. And, um, and the government is allowing it to happen. Yeah, the government is allowing to happen. And the government we're is allowing every- COVID to happen. Yeah, and, and it, it's still- I saw, I saw a, a, a graph. Uh, there was a graph of early on in the pandemic, and it was showing like areas of the country that you know were red because it was really high growth of COVID and whatever. And then you see a graph from like two years later where all the colors are green because they changed the colors. So what used to be red is now green. So even though it's five times larger growth of COVID, they just chose to color it green. So the graph looks so much better. <laughs> so, that's so silly. 
but we, you know, we're, we're still in a pandemic. It's disruptive of people's daily lives. It prevents them from working. And then they're spending things, you know, purchasing other items than they would have purchased if they didn't get sick. Um, you know, and, and we know the supply chain problems have gotten a lot better. Um, but, you know, all it takes is a major outbreak and, and, and the stuff's not coming in on ships. So we're still going to have these problems. And, you know, the whole like is inflation transitory. And Stephanie's point has been it was never based on time. It, it you know, it was conditional. And so long as these conditions are present, we're going to have this, you know, transitory style inflation, which eventually will go away when these conditions are not present. But, I, you know, right away I was like, um, wait a minute. You know, energy prices. You know, I knew that when the Saudis and the Russians were having their price war, you know, and oil got down to negative prices in, in one month, I was like, holy crap, this is the cheapest oil is ever going to be in my life. But I know, you know, like the way a monopolist works, right, is they try to wipe out the competition and they do it by undercutting price. And then as soon as the competition's gone, then they start raising their prices. And that's, I was like, once our energy industry is just decimated, then we're all dependent on the Saudis again and the Russians, they're going to start raising their prices. And sure enough, they did. And it basically, as soon as, you know, in March of 2021, they started to move price prices up. And, um, and even though like, you know, we're not buying that much Saudi oil, we buy very little, it still affects, you know, uh, West Texas Intermediate and the, and the Brent crude prices. They're, they're going to trail that, that those Saudi prices. And the world needs that oil. Like we, you know, even though like we, in the United States, we still haven't even got to the pre-pandemic gasoline consumption, but we're exporting, you know, so, so many of these products. And, you know, right now the, the price of gas is, because oil has gone down considerably and, and the price of the pump has been going down. But our refineries, we lost 11 refineries in 2020. We haven't built one, supposedly, like a, a big refinery in 30 years or something. And we're not going to. They're not going to invest in this. This, this is a heavily, highly capitally intensive investment, ongoing costs in an industry that, you know, government has growing hostility to, towards. You know, Biden during the campaign was, you know, I'm going to take on the oil companies. I'm not going to negotiate with them. I'm you know, yeah. vilifying them. Uh, and and they are villains, but fortunately we have not transitioned over yet. And the the price of oil has to go up. We have to have inflation with oil and energy. We have yeah, to. Yeah. If we're gonna survive, we have to. If we're gonna start thinking of alternatives, we have to. Yeah. And that'll reorder the price level and we've got to adjust to it. We and and to your point about inflation. It, it affects people's real incomes, right? And I think the main two areas that got everyone pissed off is the price of gas and the price of the grocery stores. And, you know, during the pandemic, there were shortages, but you didn't see, you know, you didn't see rising prices. You, there were, everything was on back order. You know, they just kept making the sale and just, and then pushing delivery out into the future. And, you know, it was only, like I said, once they started to raise the, the, the energy price and then the, and then later on the shipping crisis, and the, the sellers had to pass those costs along. Um, but it pisses people off. It has political 
implications. You know, no freaking government wants to deal with this crap. And, and then it bleeds into this, you know, curtailing the progressive agenda, you know, because now they have their Empire Strikes Back moment where, you know, <laughs> aha, we told you, you know, you said this, blah, blah, blah. And, um, <laughs> and their solutions aren't solutions to inflation. Um, nobody's talking about inflation the way Warren does. And, and what I like about it, which should be and what more moderate and conservative leaning people should like about it is government is front and center. It's like, yeah, yeah, government causes inflation. You know, I tell these conservatives and moderates this stuff, and and they're just, it confuses them. You know, they think I'm some hippie, and I'm, I'm quote-unquote on the left. Why am I talking like this? And I, I don't like to think ideological. I, I, I want to think logically. I want to, you know, I want to use reason and, and always check my assumptions. And, you know, I support working people, so I guess that puts me on the left. <laughs> whatever uh, um i'm not i'm not a communist i mean i'm not um sometimes i feel like that but um <laughs> uh just ripping these rich people out of their houses and you know uh, when they piss me off but um <laughs> uh, but yeah you know you'd think that the this sort of idea you know putting the government front and center might help us you know uh, expand and uh, attract people that may otherwise not be as interested in MMT because it sounds like some sort of socialist plot. And and going all the way back to the first part of our discussion, when I was watching Warren at these Tea Party rallies, um, presenting himself as a Tea Party Democrat, and I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> but he's talking about cutting taxes, the payroll tax. And um, I was like, wait a minute, I thought this guy was so some socialist communists, you know, communists like tax cuts now. What the heck? I don't understand. And it was that confusion, you know, just, you know, like I said, it, you, you can't get the stuff out of your head. You know, if you have questions, it just, they just bang around. And, um, I'm very, very fortunate that I was able for the time and place that I was in, and, and not just in my life, but what was going on in, in the world at the time. And, you know, Facebook was still kind of new, and th but I'm very fortunate that I was able to reach out to Warren and have him explain this stuff to me directly because I would not have got it without that more hands on approach. You know, I, I would be like these idiots on the Internet who, yeah, you know, MMT, you know, and they, and they sound all positive. But you start asking them questions, you know, they're really undermining our cause because because they haven't been taught properly. Right. They've read what they've read and secondhand, thirdhand. And, oh, they want to do a great, you know, they're they're. You know, it, it, it aligns with their um, political values, you know, the Green New Deal, the job guarantee. And, but, you know, I like Warren's approach just towards MMT in general in um, trying to keep um, – trying to so, – so, so some of the activists got mad at him when talking about the Green New Deal because – and also the job guarantee, because Warren wants to take out, you know, quote unquote, the bleeding heart language and just present it in a way that a businessman will support and and make it bulletproof. But also Warren thoroughly admits that that approach hasn't worked. And it's what the activists online have the language they've used and come up with that have really spread this. And he's very congratulatory of the activists and thankful for them 
and using language that he wouldn't have used, you know, to say some of these things, you know, and side of and negative side effects. I mean, I still think that his way is the more of the right way to do it. But um, look, man, I mean, people are going to disagree. You know, like I said in the very beginning, you know, Randy Ray and Bill Mitchell and Warren, there's things they still disagree on. And um, that's OK. You know, no one person should have all of this figured out. I mean, they would probably die from the mental energy that would take. But um, it's OK to have, div- you know, different opinions uh, on different matters. It's totally normal. And um, we don't all need to use the same language, explain things the same way. But I, I do think the way that we were talking, the way that inflation was presented pre-March 2021, kind of set us up for failure, set us up for this counterattack, this Empire Strikes Back moment. <laughs> um, because there's just way too much, like we can do this and there's not going to be any inflation. You know, and, and that's what people took from it. Now, I know people said things that were more measured, like it might happen. We've got to do this. And every, and I remember Stephanie saying, you know, we've we, we got to get the CBO to to uh, score based on inflation. And, you know, Rohan and uh, Nathan and Scott Fulweiler wrote that article. I want to say it's in 2018. And um, I love the article. They didn't say it how Warren says it, though. They did. I don't know if they said anything about the government is, you know, setting prices. It's got to validate these prices. You know, when a shortage happens, it's, the government still has to choose to spend, choose to pay that price. And without that, you know, there's no inflation. They didn't put it like that. And, and, and when people point out shortages, you know, they're not wrong. When John says that inflation's, you know, um, a measurement of, you know, something going wrong he's not wrong and you know bill mitchell's talking about class conflict and you know all this stuff caught you know labor versus um capital and you know again that's happening yeah that's right but still there's this last final thing that has to happen and it links all of these causes or these things happening in the private sector it li- we link- collectively have to allow this to happen collect we, as a collective, have to allow these things to happen. Yeah, yeah, Monopoly yeah. Monopoly as a price setter. We have to choose to set that price or passively delegate that to somebody else. Or Yeah, or we burn the economy to the ground <laughs> right. and, refu- I mean, and, and, and refuse to spend until prices fall, and, and, and um, which is, you know, I love Warren's extreme examples. Um I don't know if you saw, he posted about like ending the Ukraine war and he's like, yep, we'll just invite Russia to become part of the United States. I was like, what the hell? Like, that's uh-huh. the craziest idea I've ever heard of. <laughs> and, he, and it would work, right? Like, you know, um, it's a great, it's a great thought experiment. Yeah. But he doesn't even like repeating that because <laughs> it's, it's so crazy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I, you know, I think we've, we've seen, we could have scored some more points um, and, and, and maybe actually implemented better policy uh, during this inflation run-up. Um, you know, if we had had, had a better uh, language and, and discussed it a lot better. And again, not that the way Stephanie says it is wrong, you know, or we'd be in a worse place without her writings in, in her new blog and the lens and all that. But uh, it's still a battle we're going to have to keep fighting until, you know, things cool off a bit. And hopefully they are, so long as 
Saudis keep oil prices trading where they're at right now, you know, the worst hopefully is behind us. Um, but, but I feel like we, we were so close and, and then, um, you know, the inflation sort of like, you know, MMT was all over TV in, in 2020, you know, I mean, Stephanie was on CNBC every five minutes. It, it, it seemed like, you know, and I, nobody could keep up with all of her media appearances. And then Pavlina started, you know, getting more and, and it was just everywhere all the time and article, article, article. And, um, you powers that be whatever the conservatives, you know, they were doing everything they could to, you know, post negative articles, you know, just total crap stuff. We've been arguing about for 20 years, and the blog wars and, and, second third hand accounts of mmt sort of informing these these written articles um the republicans passing resolutions condemning mmt which really pissed me off um <laughs> the house and i think they did it twice in the senate and then uh once in the house i think and that that georgia senator the david purdue he, he one who lost his election uh i don't know the warnock or I, I can't remember which georgia senator replaced him but he was an author of, of uh, one of those in the Senate and, uh, you know, they were trying to do to MMT what they ended up doing to CRT, right. Making it the left's boogeyman. But I don't think that they, it's not CRT is, is, um, more people pay attention to that than, than really paid attention to MMT. Right. So I don't know if it really worked, but, um, we're losing John Yarmouth now in the house. You know, Stephanie tells us like, yep, they, they're, I've talked to all these people. They understand. They get it. But, you know, it's, we're, we're dealing with politics here. And um, I was hoping before John Yarmouth leaves, he would call like some meeting and bring him up to Congress and let Warren testify and explain all this. It'll take, you know, Two, two, three hour hearing. Have and Randy Ray's been there. Mm. Was Yarmouth invited him, right? Um, oh, was it Yarmouth? There? Okay. I think I think Stephanie said she was supposed to do it, but she couldn't, so she she volunteered Randy Ray. Um, I interviewed. Uh, I have a, a, an interview with Doctor Ray on that particular. On that. Yeah, your stuff is great, man. You, I, I was looking at some of your website. I didn't realize how long you've been at this. Um, I was looking for an article about when. Ray and um, Mosler met Kucinich, and uh, it was funny. I found your found your web because you you wrote about it again and did the interview about it. And um, um, not about I that. Could, not I about could, that. I talked to I talked to him. Uh, Doctor Ray told me that at the Levy summer session. Oh, okay. But you you wrote something about the monetary monetary reform, reform but nothing. Yeah. With, I mean, I just mentioned Kucinich just because of the Need Act, but otherwise, yeah. I uh, know. And. Uh, Kucinich was a kind of a weird guy, interesting guy. You know, he's mayor, fought off the mafia, um, <laughs> short little guy, had a hot redhead wife. Um, <laughs> I forget her name, but I saw pictures. I was like, holy crap, man, you know, hope for a guy like me. And um, um, But he was like our the left's version of Ron Paul, and that need act was just insane, you know. Like, <laughs> um, you know, and, and inflation is – you know, obviously an area of concern for MMT and, and, and just getting the movement out and getting people to understand the stuff. But um, my first roadblock was the banking system. I just don't. What do you 
loans create deposits. What the hell are you talking about? Like, and, and I was all worried. Like, I thought we lent to banks and then banks bought this, basically gave free money to the banks. And we do, but not like that. Um, and I was all concerned about that. And I was like, I think, and, and you know, Warren's a rich guy, right? Um, he's not a billionaire, uh, if, but not if he sold everything in the, that day, it wouldn't be worth that much. But um, <laughs> I kept, you know, getting worried that, you know, he, he's trying to get one over on us or he's trying to enrich himself, you know, when I first met him. Right. And um, it took a while, you know, to kind of realize this guy is more like a priest. <laughs> you know, he's um, Warren helped me not just understand, but um, how to behave, how to act. And um, a couple weeks ago, I was getting kind of rowdy. And he's like, Charles, be the Pope. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I've talked about this in the past, how, you know, there's some toxic elements in our movement, you know, online. You know, some of the stuff people just got to get over being butthurt. But we do need to work on how we talk and treat each other, especially, you know, believe within the MMT movement. And um, I've talked about that in the past. I banned myself from my own group for a week because I thought I got rowdy. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, now I've, I've got this 11th commandment. I am not going to speak ill in, in, uh, of anyone that is, is supportive of this. You know, I haven't always. I've, not in public. hasn't always been true. You know, I've. Not in public. You, I mean, yeah. you need to you need to say what you need to say, but you don't necessarily need to say it in public in certain contexts. Yeah, and, and, and John makes a huge point. Yeah, there are some disagreements, but we're on the same side in general, and you don't fight. You know, when we're already the we're already the underdog by far. I mean, you can talk in private certainly, but you don't say these things in public. You know, that becomes now what people what are, the fighting is what people are talking about and what you know, instead of the subject matter that, that led to it. Right. And, you know, so, but yeah, um, w w another, another thing I'd mentioned that I always, I think is kind of cool and kind of funny is sometimes like happened a couple months ago, Stephanie emails me. It, it's almost like I become a, a proxy for like their version of like the MMT, uh, MMT activists. And she's just like assumes like I'm the one that took this photo or I'm the one that started that. I'm like, I didn't, I, I don't, she was asking me to find the photo of Krugman meeting um, with graduate students and they gave him Warren's book. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I had nothing to do with this. I, it's not me. <laughs> it, you know what? And, um, and Matthew Forstater has, has done the same before. He's like, yeah, you're the first MMT activist. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, well, you're the first one I remember on Facebook. And I'm like, okay, but. There were people on Facebook at the time that I was talking to to learn this stuff. So it wasn't – can't be the first. <laughs> and and um, what, what, I don't even check on the group anymore. It's not what it used to be. It used to be a place where we really – you know, we there were some serious policy discussions on Facebook. And, and um, now I think the intro to MMT page might be the, the biggest one because it's, it's open to the – public and but you know you get all these trolls coming in there and talk sh I, I i mod that group so yeah yeah and, and um yeah but like you know i didn't intend to get involved at this level i never 
you know, and I thought it would be easy. Like, okay, we'll just spread the word and everyone gets it and then we'll start to adapt, you know, and Warren had the same idea. He's like, he, you know, he told Randy Ray when they first started, like, oh, we're going to win the Nobel Prize. <laughs> Randy Ray's like, no, we're not. No, we're going to, we're going to be fighting about this forever. And, um, but, you know, and then we've, we've got this administration here that, you know, is filled with a bunch of magical interest rate theorists and exporters, you know, and, and, um, and exporters have just dominated U.S. policymaking, you know, since the Obama era, at least, and maybe before. And, you know, um, they have way too much say in domestic policy choices and, and, um, and the magical interest rate theory people. They have no evidence for anything that they're claiming. You know, and Warren's the one that's been pointing this out is, you know, the Fed has a hundred million dollar research budget. You'd think they'd have one study that, you know, Jerome Powell could point to, to, to say like, yeah, if we raise rates, it's going to, you know, the evidence shows that, you know, we're, we're, we're yeah, they know the evidence is not going to show that. So they're not going to yeah. do the study. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, um well, they, I, there, there are studies that prove the opposite though, that they published. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I want to. I want to go back to. I want to ask a final question, going back to something yeah. you said a while ago, um, and it's kind of a broad question. I just want to say kind of my opinion on it, and then get your thoughts on it. You were saying like, you know, the CPI is a measurement of prices in the past, and they they do it well, and it's a hard thing to do, and and they choose the basket of goods, and and you know we have good we have good data here in the U.S. in some senses, and so so the CPI is a major measurement of inflation, of how we judge, of how we, it's what, it's a major thing that we point to, to determine whether or not we have inflation, but it's only in the past. It only tells us about prices in the past. Obviously we cannot predict the future. And you were also saying of what are the real problems out there? What are the real problems that we're facing? Because again, the thermometer is measuring the temperature of the patient. He's fighting off something but we have no idea what. But all we focus on is the measurements of that thermometer, which are in the past, and the sickness has evolved since we took that measurement. So it's like I keep going back to this analogy of it's like we're it's like we're analyzing the report cards of kids and and making it into statistical graphs and stuff. And, and we're looking at the grades of these kids from the past. And, we're, and that's the only thing that we use to judge the economy. When meanwhile, all of these kids, these lot, their lives have evolved since then. And if, they, and if they have problems or sickness or abuse or anything negative, those things have evolved since those report cards came out, which we are then filtering through our measurements and whatever and our regression and graphs and whatever. And it's like, so why do we spend so much time analyzing these prices in the past instead of just talking to the freaking kid? Just talk to the kid. What's the problems in the real world that are driving those grades, that are driving those prices? It's things in the real world. So go out into the real world and determine what these problems are. And if we solve these problems, then who cares what the CPI is? Because we know it's going to get better. We know it's going to get better. So stop focusing so hard on these statistics and these prices and the grades of these kids and the thermometer measurement of this sickness, go out into the real world, go and deal with this sick person and 
figure out what's wrong with him, go and talk with these kids and figure out what problems they have and solve those problems, which will then obviously cure those prices, cure that temperature and cure those grades. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, you know, focus on the real. One thing Warren told me when I met him was, I don't exactly remember the full context, but he's like, take the money out. He's like, look at the economy, look at the real stuff, take the money out. And I'm like, whoa, you know, like mind blown. And <laughs> Stephanie's writings, you know, about MMT. I mean, I don't know how, I mean, the woman, she, she look at the real, look at the real, the real economy, the real economy, the real economy. And I think that is really, that get, that message gets home to people. Like what is real conditions and, you know, don't target a budget balance, target full employment and price stability and and what the budget balance is what it is. And price stability is not just, I guess maybe this is the last thing I, um, that I'll, I'll say, but price stability is not just inflation control because again, you could have stable prices, stable inflation, you know, aggregate, all the aggregates are stable. There's no inflation. And yet, these relative price changes can be so can can hurt people, and and we know like the way when people talk about inflation, they're not actually talking about what we define as inflation. They're, you know, the prices have gone up. Ah, you know, oh my gosh, it's inflation. So we really got to focus more about how inflation is experienced, and that is more, maybe more important than these academic definitions that we're discussing and trying to you know make policy with. And, um, and it's, it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, oh, inflation. Are you going to buy a used car? Are you planning on buying a used car in the next six months? No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then what the hell are you talking about? What do you care about yeah. inflation? Because it's all used cars right now. But they're still focused on this 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 boogeyman. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, our data is good. I don't want to imply that you know the statisticians that work for the U.S. government and the other agencies that that they're corrupt or they're politically motivated. But they have a really hard freaking job, and over time, mistakes are going to be made. You know, they're not perfect. No one's perfect, right? So we know that there's going to be some corruption in our data. You know, and hopefully through these revisions, we can get closer to the truth. But you know, by including a, you know, used cars in this basket of goods, and then saying, "Oh, the whole basket's gone up." You know that 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 leads to strange things, and then the media, oh, inflation's a, you know, you know what, and um, you know, it, it, it it's foolishness, and and now with the Fed raising rates, which they threatened to do, like inflation started ticking up, um, you know, a little bit before the energy prices started to go up, but the Fed was just jawboning, you know, talking about raising rates in the future, and that that you know. It's going to have negative consequences, and both on a, not just price level, but inequality too. You're giving basic income to rich people, to people who already have money in proportion to the money they have. And as Warren's pointed out, I don't think he says this, but there is a theory called fiscal dominance, where it basically, and it's a mainstream thing. And it's like once the national, the the national debt gets so high. Raising rates can't cool the economy off anymore because you're going to be adding all this income. And um, right. Warren has that extreme example where he's like, hey, just, you know, thought experiment here, guys. You know, um, what if they raise rates to 100 <laughs> percent? So the national debt 
doubles in a year. So we go from 30 to $60 trillion. You know, is that going to be deflationary? Um, <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, you know, no one's going to borrow at 100%. Even if no one borrows, you know, that's still going to be massively inflationary. It's going to be worse if people borrow. But, but it, it's still hard to keep consistent with the language, even for me, when I'm talking about inflation. Because I'm still, it's the way I just said that, it sounds like I'm implying that inflation is still something in the private sector that's, so, so it's an easy thing to muddy and screw up and, and confuse, you know, and got to have grace and it's not an attack the way, I don't want anyone to think like, I'm, you know, attacking uh, someone through, through this criticism that I have. And, and, and again, I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, the way academics talk is going to be different than the way I talk, you know. I have a master's, but I'm not an academic. I'm basically a street person, you know. <laughs> uh, really, I mean, um, r- before, you know, I, I was a street protester. I went to the, uh, before Warren visited with us, I was at the 2012 Texas Republican Convention. Huh. And I was in the street, and I had a sign, government deficit equals non-government surplus. There was a guy that came up to me. He was a high-level Republican in um the state of Texas, not an elected official, but um, a businessman. And um, he's like, you're right. I remember this. And <laughs> we've really got to make a choice between uh, Obama stimulus and Romney austerity. And and I think you're right. Like, we can't be doing what we're, we're planning to do here. And Paul Ryan was there. We chased him in the street. Um, <laughs> and then um, another uh, protest that I'm kind of proud of is, is uh, um, on tax day, 2013, I think, we showed up at the city shareholder meeting, which was in Irving. And uh, I made a sign, um, the best way to rob a bank is to own one. Uh-huh. And I had the the, the the fraud recipe written on it. And we were talking to the city shareholders. They came out and wanted to talk to us. And I'm with hippies. You know, we're, we're, you know what our intent was was fairly obvious. But they still came out and talked to us. And we were like, you know, look. You're about to approve ridiculous executive compensation for people that have destroyed your the company and the stock and committed fraud. And um, we leave. No, we didn't leave. We, we, I had to leave, but people stayed the whole meeting. And at the end, they come out and they rejected the compensation plan. Hmm. And some of the shareholders came up to us and were like, "Yeah, you, you, thank you for being here. You, you know, you helped us um, embolden." You know, because most of the time they're rubber stamps. They don't, which is funny. Shareholders typically just approve whatever the board proposes. They don't typically reject it. It's happened quite a few times, but um, historically with city that that was never the case. But they came out and thanked us, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, yeah, there, there's power in protest. You know, hmm. and, um, you know, if you're reasoned and you're logical and you can explain yourself and and you, you know come correct. You know, there's a lot we can do um, by protesting, by the act, you know, the video stuff. And I'm just so proud of, uh, you know, the, the people like you, uh, real progressives. You know, there's so many now. There's a, there's so many others. That I, I can't even think of them all. And, you know, I remember when, you know, I looked up and I could count on my hand the people that I knew in Dallas, Fort Worth, that could follow what I was talking about. And it was mm-hmm. me, John Harvey and Timothy Wonder. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
And now I found a guy in my, uh, in my own high school. He graduated after me, um, Dustin. And uh, so it's it's spread so far, so wide. You know, Warren, he's like, it's like spreading like wildfire. So, yeah, hopefully this, hopefully we're, at least sometime in my lifetime, there's there's some real movement, Maybe, you know, a job guarantee. Um, I don't see that happening the next uh, round of elections or, or um, you know, I, I, I worry we're, you know, the last days of the American Republic, basically. <laughs> and um, I think um, I don't know what role we're, you know, this this knowledge is going to play um, uh, in, 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 you know, politically in you know, the uh, 2022 races or the 2024 races. I don't think it has, you know, I don't think we're going to have much say. Uh, you know, we're going to have to get someone elected who understands the stuff before they, they run for office. And, you know, I think Stephanie needs to try to run for office. <laughs> I know she she tried in Kansas in the state house, um, or Missouri, I think. But, um, you know, I think she would be the number one pick, right? Uh, Warren's never going to run again. He's ran off us like five times and lost every time. It's, it's super <laughs> great for him. But. <laughs> uh, you, the, regarding, you, there's a couple other people I know in Texas, three other people I know in Texas. Uh, Sam Levy, now uh, Jonathan. Um, Wilson. Yeah, um, uh, there was Ryan in Austin. Um, he's Ryan, Ryan, yeah, I'm, I, he, he's, uh, I think, really dived into school. Yeah, yeah, he, I haven't. There, there is like a Texas. And Bill Peoples too. Okay. There, there, but, you know, pisses, all these people live in Houston and Austin. I'm like, um, there is like a Texas deficit out group. I think Sam Levy created it before I kind of knew who he was. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I love his um, uh, mathematical model paper. Um, I, well, well I, I, one, other, one other person in Texas, uh, he's from Texas, is Andres Bernal. Yeah, he's yeah. From- I actually – he lives in the he lived in the I think his family still lives in like McAllen and my mother lives in Far. I actually lived there for uh, like uh, nine months in the early aughts uh, before before this before I learned about MMT. Yeah, and- Andres is another person maybe to throw up there to you know run for office, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, we are seeing more candidates that are coming you know coming to the activists and doing interviews, running for office, talking about MMT concepts, but. You know, I, I, I've done, what do you call it, um, campaigning, right? And they had to train me because I'm sitting here trying to argue with people in the street. <laughs> hmm. And they're like, what are you doing? Why are you wasting all this time? Go find people that agree. And, you know, so, and I think that's the left's, uh, you know, are more uh, left-wing MMTers. They're all, you know, they're all about getting out the vote, people that already agree or are more likely to agree. And, and that is the right way to do it. But, but you know, if you can peel off some opposition, you know, you make your job a little easier on that the other front. And, um, you know, and that's, that's why I, I'd really like to get more involved in speaking, uh, you know, to, to moderates and, and conservatives, non-Nazi conservatives, non, <laughs> you know, um, which, you know, when I see it, I know I, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I can talk to this person. Um, mm-hmm. hate is not the core of who they are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, we got to have more grace with people. I mean, we, 
not with Nazis, you know, Nazis get the lead, you know, but, <laughs> um, you know, and you have a line, you know, and we, we have a problem with just everyone's outraged over everything and nobody's doing a damn thing about anything. They're all, everyone is just bitching. And politically we have this problem where the Democrats are seen as complainers, as whiners, Republicans are seen as doers, as winners. And I think that that dynamic will attract, you know, um, that d- deters people from really listening to what the Democrats have to say and things the way they can positively affect people's lives. And they turn to the Republicans who are just spouting nonsense. Right. But, you know, they're annoyed by something related to the left. And, um, you know, it doesn't take much for them to throw the baby out with the bathwater, I suppose. Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, and even though, like, you, you poll these people, you ask them, do you support Medicare for all? Yes. You, you know, you support legalization of marijuana? Yes. Are you f- for legal abortion? Yes, I'm, I'm okay with abortion. And then the same people will vote for Republicans that are totally against all those policies, you know? And th- that, that's a disconnect. And, and we, you know, we got to look. I don't think it's a disconnect. They don't have anyone to vote for. There's no yeah. one good to vote for. Yeah, those, yeah. Those who are good to vote for are shut out before they, you know, it ever gets to that point. Well, yeah, and you know, and Democrats are just just love to lose and and browbeat their own side. And, and this lady running for Congress against Jim Jordan in Ohio, she wrote this like just diatribe on Twitter about blaming people for not voting and and just hostile. And it's like, dude, have you ever done sales? Like, you don't <laughs> I've never made a sale. I've never recruited a candidate or got a contract by being mean to my freaking client or candidate. <laughs> you know, you, you, you just, you know, she's a paralegal, you know, that's her former occupation was. I was like, man, I, I don't know. Like I used to say like all adults need to go wait tables. It's like all Democrats need to get a sales job or try to sell um, <sighs> before they get into politics because, you know, you, they, you wouldn't say that. And I'm, I'm, you know, you could say I'm a vote blue, no matter who guy. I hate saying that, but you know, I look at this. Trump Trumpers and the Republican Party is like the harbingers of a Nazi regime that's coming, right? And um, you got to go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's two steps away from that. Vote blue, no matter who, keeps us two steps away from that. But why don't we be a hundred steps away from that? You know? Yeah, yeah, and like, yeah, and that's you know, in the primary season and in in the leading up to elections, like you know, develop other alternatives to this bullshit. And um, and I'm uh, totally okay with that. Ranked choice voting. You know, uh, but there are people that just like, no, we need to lose. We need to just burn this thing to the ground. We need to let the Nazis take power. I'm like, what the hell? Like, no way in hell I'm allowing that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, Jesus. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, but when you when vote blue no matter who, I mean, there are limits to that, right? Like, there, I can see some races where it's like, all right, screw this. I'm not voting for this guy. This, this I'll, I'll tolerate, you know, this Republican, you know, versus this idiot. And, um but yeah, I don't understand the whole let's burn it down, let's lose, let's give them more power, and somehow we will, you know, rise from the ashes out of that. No, it's just desperation. You drive yeah, people yeah, to desperation, yeah. they're gonna act desperately. That's just an expression of them acting desperately. Yeah, you yeah, can't, you know, yeah. whatever. But but yeah, but you're not gonna win those people over by browbeating them and yelling and screaming at them like these idiots that that, that lady running for Congress against Jim Jordan did. I mean Of course, of you know, course, like of course. Like have some and empathy for people and some sympathy grace you know yeah um mm-hmm. but 
Yeah, I'm kind of trailing off here, man. I, I, this has been great. We actually, it's almost like 1040 now. Um, yep, it's time I to go. Run. I can hear my daughter. Um, I'm see if my wife needs some help. But um, It's been ahead. great. And the papers that you had me read were, were really interesting. Um, I'll, I'll link them. I'll link them. I hope I've, I've done well. I, you know, I'm, I'm really nervous about public speaking, and it's kind of a challenge for me, which is why I try to do these things. Um, it is for me too. And that's why I have this podcast to be honest. Yeah, and, I, I'm, and you know, I've always, I've always seen myself as like a behind the scenes guy. Um, never my thing to like be out front. And, um, but anyways, yeah, Jeff, man, I thank you, man. I appreciate that. And no um, problem. thanks so much for coming on. It's been really interesting. And, uh, yeah, it's been good. And, All right, yep. man. Um, Anyways, yeah, man, you take care. You be safe. Charles, thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely, bro. All right, man. Take care. for this show is by Rectech. You can find Rectech on SoundCloud and Spotify at W-R-E-C-K underscore T-E-C-H. To record Activist MMT, I use the iOS phone app Tape a Call Plus for recording phone calls and Zencaster for internet-based recordings. My post-production workflow starts by editing on the iOS app AnyTune Pro Plus then transferring those timestamps to my Windows desktop. At that point, I crudely process the audio in Audacity and then implement the edits and do all the final processing in the Reaper digital audio workstation. Activist MMT is hosted by Libsyn and the video teasers are created with the online Headliner app.